the question that I'm hearing is, what's wrong with my Amuna as is on its own? And why do I need to go to a tzaddik to somehow enhance my Amuna? Because, as you're saying, a tzaddik has more of a connection because he was more connected, right? Maybe. And so if I go there, I feel more connected and I feel more... Or you don't feel it. Oh, I forgot about the lit fuck. I forgot about the lit fuck. Why should I want to go to the all Why should I want it? Who said you should want it? I, I don't know. I, I You feel you want to. Feel you already want, want to. So what's the question? Why? Well, I, I don't know. You say you want to, so why do you want to? I'm, I'm coming from a very logical perspective. Because of the cookies. Yeah, they are the best cookies in the world. So Corona, since Corona they changed them. Yeah, something changed before. Them. No, they were better before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were saying they're better now. No, something changed. I think it, Shiner's has the original cookies. Oh. <laughs> what were you saying? I was just saying, why is that a lack of Luna necessarily? This, this tzaddik, I, I, I'm trying to remember where there's a Gemara that if somebody's sick, they should go to a, a tzaddik or a Chacham or whatever and ask them to dive for them. They just have a better in. They have a better... They know how to be... Uh, Protect That's what I thought. They know how to, <laughs> you know how to play this. better than the Bukum or Scott. It's like so, roughly made with Davin on our behalf. So the Tzadikim, I would imagine, that's what we're asking them to do, is Davin on our behalf. Like, I have tremendous Samuda. But, but I know that he can do the job better. It's not lack of Muna. It's just... They, they, know, right. they know what they're doing more than I know what I'm doing. So, I want to share with you a perspective. I'm going to go to a less contentious area because I'm a little bit concerned about what might happen if I directly approach the question. Um, I don't know who's who and what's what in this crowd. What if we don't record it? What? What if we don't record it? It's not about the recording. People are listening and I don't know, you know. Um, <laughs> I have to know people better before I can go straight out in that conversation. The relationship of a Rebbe and a Chassid is very deep. You know, Shlomo Melech was wondering once, Shlomo Melech, when he wanted to express the relationship to um, Hashem, the way he expressed it was between a man and a woman. By Chassidim, they would say that if he were a Chassid, he would have expressed the Rebbe-Chassid relationship. That's contentious. You know, he would have written a deeper kind of relationship. So, in a certain sense, um, there's two parts to going to Kibbutz Tzadikim. There's going to any tzaddik and just hanging out because any tzaddik might have a connection. And there's going to a tzaddik with whom you build a relationship. So if you study um, the teachings of Rabbi Nachman and then you find yourself in Uman, it's a whole different world to if you walk inside there and wondering, you know, I've heard about him, but I don't know what he was about or anything. and just come in there because I go to any type of caper. So I'm going to take a different approach and talk about two modes of emuna and what needs to change in emuna, and then maybe you can answer the question: What might change if you go to a place of a tzaddik? So let me tell you a little story. <clears throat> the story was there were two tailors, and these guys were. These guys were, you know, they were phenomenal tailors. And in those days, Jews were very sheltered, like super sheltered. Meaning, 
today you don't even understand what it means to be sheltered. But sheltered meant you had a ghetto and you could only live in a ghetto and most vocations were not open to you. And you couldn't get out wherever you wanted and you were pretty much stuck where you were. So to be able to get like some kind of, um, to be open to the Gentile world was not something most Jews did. These two tailors became well known and so they were called in and they were summoned by the local uh, poets who invites them in and they made some phenomenal garments for him and so he started telling his friends and they invited them and before they knew it their clientele became Gentile but that meant they were too connected that also meant that Jews didn't really know what to do when they got too connected they didn't they just never got connected right when they got connected they didn't know how to handle it and so before they knew it they changed their clothing to align with their surroundings and they changed their eating habits to align with their surroundings and uh, one thing led to another and they were pretty much going down, down, downhill in their Judaism. So one day, they're on a journey and they're in a business trip making clothing for some people and on the way back, they find themselves in a small little village in the middle of nowhere and there's no hotel to stay in, so where do you go? So they're knocking on people's homes to see who, who wants to take them in. They knock on one home, come inside, and there they, they find a, um, a non-Jew, a guy, invites them in, says, sure, come stay by my house, you know, absolutely. I got some hospitality, I got a room, no problem. He says, I see you guys are Jewish, when you wonder sometimes how you know someone's Jewish, the Rebbe Rayatz once told someone, he says, that you don't look like a Jew, but when the Moyle does a bris sometimes, sometimes he takes the orla and he buries it, and sometimes he puts the orla on the baby's nose, and then he grows up, and you can tell a Jewish nose from a mile away. <laughs> so um, this guy looks at these guys and he says, I know you guys are Jewish, so you probably need kosher food. I don't have kosher food. So I'll give you some, um, you know, fruits and that kind of thing, which you'll be able to handle with. Which was pretty impressive that a guy knew anything about Judaism. And they said, don't worry. We don't need kosher food. We're good. Whatever you give us is fine. He's like, ready. Oh, that's gone. Okay. Puts them in a room. Waits a while. Comes in after a while with his son and comes inside, he's holding a massive axe in his hand. And he says, okay, just to let you know, I'm the, um, in charge of all the um, highway robbers over here. I'm the big guy behind them. And my typical order of the day is I invite people in, and then I murder them, and I steal all their money, and there's no one ever knows about it, so it's fine. So I'm going to kill you. And, um, you know, I hope that's okay. And you can say your last prayers. I'm going to be nice to you. I'm going to lock up the room, tie you up. He ties, ties them up. His kid ties them up. And they, their hands are behind their, their, you know, behind their, their backs. And they tie it up. And he says, I'll come back in the morning. And um, I'm giving you a night. I'm a nice guy. I'm giving you a night to, to uh, say your last prayers. And he leaves the room. And they are petrified. They daven and daven and daven and do tshuva all night long because they realize this is the moment, you know. And sure enough, at the crack of dawn, he knocks on the door, he comes in. And when he comes in, there's no axe, and there's no nothing. He just... Oh. Um, 
he comes in and and he's like you know no axe just walking in like a sweetie pie and he says can I help you guys and off he went they're like what you're not killing us he's like no I was just kidding they're like you're kidding the whole night long you made us suffer and then you're just kidding he's like let me tell you what happened in this house over here I had a holy man stayed here for the last weeks of his life he was running away from Napoleon and on his way he stopped in this village Piena, and he wasn't feeling well and he passed away in this house and then he was buried in the Jewish cemetery like in a couple of cities away from here and his name was Ripschner Zalman he was the Balatanya he passed away in this house in that room where you were staying in at his funeral by the way how many people were present the Balatanya's funeral two people were present because it was a middle of war and disease and they couldn't go from one city to another as we know nowadays so yeah before he passed away he asked me he thanked me for having given him the hospitality and he asked me that if ever Jews come in here and you see they need some help in their Judaism and you see they're not they lax in their Judaism help them out so scare them a little bit do what you got to do so that you know they get connected. So he says, I saw you guys came in here, and when you said you didn't want to eat kosher food, I was like, that's what he was talking about. So I'm like, I've got to take care of them. So I was thinking, what should I do? I realized that I could scare you to death. And I figured if I scared you to death, you would repent, and you would go back to Hashem. And that was the goal. So you should know, the room you were in, he spent the last weeks of his life in. So it's a holy room. And I'm sure you guys connected back to God. They're like, you bet we connected back to God. We spent the whole night. This is it. Like, we're changing our ways. Everything is different. And that was a story of the two tailors. It's a story of what happens to a person when his emuna is challenged and he's put to a test like that. What happens when you get thrown against the wall and you get told okay last moments of your life you're done isn't it true that something deep changes inside of us and we become completely new people because there's like a facade that we build on us and right it's a facade and it doesn't allow Muna to penetrate the second it becomes real it just penetrates what does it take to think about, it says like this, that Ganve Apum Machtarta, Gemara says, Rachmana Kokaria. What that means is, a thief, when he's about to steal, what does he do if he's a Yiddish thief? You ever seen a Jewish thief? He's a Ganav. His profession is to steal. When he's about to steal, what does he do? He utters a silent prayer to Hashem. And he says, Hashem, please help me steal. Help me succeed in my business. We all do that on some level. We all do that on some level. When you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, and you ask Hashem to help you to do what you shouldn't be doing, even though you know you shouldn't be doing it. Why are you doing it? Because 
Because your belief is aloof. It doesn't penetrate your life. So if you're cheating on your taxes, when you shouldn't be, or you're doing something that, you know, you're doing something that's not exactly the way it's meant to be, and you daven to Hashem, that's because you have a muna, but the muna didn't penetrate. It remains aloof. It remains above. Doesn't descend and come down. There's a beautiful, stunning marshal. The Balatani's marshal. Talking about him because it's his yard site two days ago. He says, um, Chazal tell us, the rabbis say, that, that the Geula, sorry, the Pasuk says, Yishayawanavi. It says like this, Ki bo bonim ad mashber ayin The children have come to a crisis and they have no strength to give birth. What happened was, the story is, there was Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim was surrounded and besieged by 185,000 soldiers. And the Gemara says it wasn't soldiers, it was battalions. Each one led a troop. It was millions of soldiers that surrounded Yerushalayim. The king in charge of that siege was a fellow by the name of Samcherev. Anyone heard of Samcherev? You know who he was? Yeah? Jewish king. No. was the Assyrian king. He is very well known to Jewish circles. You've got to know this one. Sanchev is the name you've got to know. Okay, why is affecting us today? Because, what? Exactly. Nice. Because 10 twelfths of the Jewish people were lost because of him. That's one reason. He exiled the 10 tribes. On the other side of the Sambatian, we lost them. He also exiled every nation in the world. That's also important for us. The reason why, if a German or Palestinian or whatever wants to convert today, and you're convinced they are Amalek, you can still accept them. Why? Because we don't know who Amalek or any nation or Mitzri or whatever. We don't know any nation because Sancheirev moved everyone away. Confused the whole world. Sancheirev marches at Yerushalayim. His general is a fellow by the name of Rav Shakei. Rav Shakei is a Jewish guy. And he talks, he talks Yehudit, meaning Hebrew, not Yiddish. And he stands outside Yerushalayim and he screams at Sraya Sofer and all the people up there and he starts cursing the name of Hashem and they tear their garments because he's Jewish. And they say to him, don't talk Hebrew. And he says, no, no, I want everyone to understand exactly what I'm saying. And he says... I'm willing to give you 2,000 horses as a gift. I'm going to march and gallop into Yerushalayim, 2,000 horses, yours as a gift to fight me on one condition. Show me that you have 2,000 horsemen to ride those horses. And what happens? Nada. Yerushalayim doesn't have that. So the astrologers told Sanchev when he's marching at Yerushalayim, they said to him, Go destroy it today, because today you will win. Tomorrow, you won't. He looked at Yerushalayim. He's standing. This is the Haftar of Achron Shil Pesach. He's like standing in Nov. And it's Odayom Benov La'amod. He's standing at Nov and he's waving his, uh, his handkerchief. He's waving, you know, faith, yodoi har And Yishayahu Navi says, 
He's like, this, that's Jerusalem? He says, that's Jerusalem? I should go fight? I should, you what? That? Seriously? It's like nothing. I'm not doing it today. I'll show you I can do it tomorrow despite the astrologers. He's like shocked by how the insignificance of Yerushalayim. And the prophet Yeshayahu says, he's got this prophecy of Mashiach. That's the one prophecy. Where he says, um, yeah, the, the, you know, the wolf and the lamb, that's the prophecy when he came in. So Chizkiyahu is the king. Now, Chizkiyahu knows that 10 tribes have already been exiled by this king. So is the rest of the world. But he understands one thing. If we get exiled, if Yerushalayim falls, then Judaism is over because we don't know where the 10 tribes are. That's it. This is the moment. Y- Yiddishkeit all depends on what happens now. So he comes over to Yeshayahu Anavi in Yerushalayim and he says, The children have got to a state of Mashbero. Crisis. You know what Mashbero also means? When a woman's about to give birth, it's called a mashbera. In fact, the Greek word, I believe, has a connection to it. So he says, the children are, it's like about to have a baby, and they don't know how to give birth. Like, there's something here about to happen, and they don't know how to give birth. What's, what, what does it mean, don't know how to give birth? It means, there's a fetus inside, and when the fetus is inside, it's like, how do you pick him out? Now think about this, right? What distinguishes, he's using an analogy, he's using an analogy of of a fetus being born. He's saying redemption is like childbirth, which is what we say on Tishabov. Like a woman about to give birth, that's what it is when you have Geula, when you have redemption. So he says, listen to this. He says, what happens when a child is born? The Gemara says, what's a baby like in the mother's womb? He's like a folded over, scrunched up nothing. Meaning, his, his uh, heels are on his buttocks, right? And he's, his head is folded over. So he has eyes, ears, nose, mouth, all the faculties, and they're just scrunched over and he doesn't do anything with them. And he's, he eats what his mother eats and he's relying on his mother. And all his food and sustenance comes from the belly button, the umbilical cord. What happens at childbirth? Everything flips. This baby who was inside the mother's womb is born. And what happens the moment he's born? It's like suddenly he looks at himself and he's like, eyes, ears, nose, mouth. He starts seeing. He starts smelling. He starts tasting. He starts thinking with his brain. Moment of childbirth is nistam hapatuach veniftach hasatum. What's closed is open, what's open is closed. Umbilical cord is pretty useless, but all that stuff in the face, that's pretty incredible what it does, and suddenly he becomes a human being. So the baby was convinced that he's perfectly fine. Then he's born, what happens when he's born? He's like, oh my gosh, there's like a whole different life over there. And so that moment of shami lavlad detzai, it's a moment when you hear the baby cry, that ah, that moment is like, wow, there's life, there's something else, like I'm, I'm shocked. I don't know this whole thing existed. I was living in my mother's womb and I just, I was, I was pretty happy. I didn't understand and appreciate what was possible. And then I'm born and like, wow, I discover exactly what, what is possible. That's childbirth. Says Chizkiyahu to Yeshayahu, he says, He's like, 
All my life, I've learned about this thing called emuna. Like, I know about emuna from when I was a little kid. I've always been told about emuna, emuna, emuna. Everyone talks to me about Hashem and emuna and wonderful things. It's like so great. I never began in my life to understand what emuna meant. What does emuna mean? It means that Hashem becomes the dominant force in my life. Think about it, right? Who doesn't believe in Hashem? Everyone here believes in Hashem, right? Believe in Hashem. Of course you believe in Hashem. But then, like, who do you think created the world? Sure. But are you scared? Are you worried? Do you get anxious? Do you have difficult feelings inside you? Do your emotions control you? Do other people and other things dictate how you feel? Life is tough, right? Life is very, very strenuous and difficult. And it's all too easy to, to accept the surroundings and suddenly you discover that one text can change how you feel. You can be in the middle of a shear and suddenly, from the, like, in the corner of your eye, you notice something that came in and your whole mood changes and now you're in like, a different world over there because you're allowing the external world to affect you. If you allow the external world to affect you, that's anti-emuna. Emuna means that it's from within, that it's real, that it's absolute. So Yishayahu, Yechezkel tells Yishayahu, he says to him, listen, this is a moment of emuna. He's telling Yishayahu, he says it's a moment of absolute emuna because everyone and everything outside is telling me that I should be scared. Right? What are you thinking? He destroyed everybody else. Why shouldn't he destroy you? Cost your life is over. And hey, what are you thinking? This guy, the, the Jew, Rav Shakeh, is blaspheming. Chizkiyahu says, all my men are coming to me. They're saying, surrender. At least let's survive. At least he won't kill us. Okay, he'll move us somewhere else. At least he won't die. And some of them are saying, let's fight and let's go. And I don't know. Nobody, nobody is, is, is giving me a feeling of security. Chizkiyahu says, this moment is a moment of childbirth. Because if you have emuna in Hashem, emuna is something that will be able to transform and change everything else around you. It means you can download the power of Hashem into you. And through emuna, you can actually change things. So you see what we have? We have a power of emuna inside of us, but we don't activate it. The fetus is us in Golos. The fetus is the Jew in exile. Sometimes when you listen to this kind of thing, it sounds so otherworldly. But have you ever watched a baby being born? The moment of a child being born. When a child's born, you feel this. There's like a... It's an unbelievable moment. It's a moment of... of, of uh, Revelation of Hashem. It's like, wow, how'd you do that? Like, human being just like, just appears from nowhere, literally. And it's not comfortable when a human being goes and dies, but it's a letting go, a realization that, oh, there's something above us. We're like in a little cocoon. We don't get it. Emunah means allowing the power of Hashem into our lives, but not succumbing 
to the facade that's in front of us, because the world is a facade. So we have eyes, we have a nose, we have a mouth, we have ears. We're able to smell, feel, and taste. We know about Hashem, but we don't. We're like a fetus. We're inside the mother's womb, and we don't have that expression of Hashem. Chizkiyahu says, this is it. If I have a Muna in Hashem over here, then I've got to let it out. So one part of me inside, besides all the outside forces, there's the inside forces inside me. It's saying, come on. Come on. Get real. Like, it's scary. He could kill you. And it's okay to give in. And who says that Hashem wants to help me? And I put all that aside. And I'm going direct me and Hashem. And what does that mean, me and God? He's like, okay. I'm downloading His energy into me. Chizkiyahu did the most unbelievable thing ever. In the words of the Gemara, he says, Ani yashen al mitati. He says, I'm going to sleep. So someone guy told me he going to sleep. Yeah, so he was depressed. No, not the sleep of a depressed guy. You go to sleep at night when everything's fine. Imagine everything's amazing. Life is wonderful and incredible and you're going to sleep. And you go to sleep and you just like rest and you let go. If there's nothing I can do, Chizkiyahu says, if it's over and done, know what that means? You're telling me, I can't fight him, I don't have even 2,000 horsemen, they have millions of soldiers around me, and there's absolutely nothing I can do, but I know that Hashem is with me, and Hashem is real, and I have no doubt about it. So Chizkiyahu, you know how difficult this part was? What's the greater miracle? What happened next, or what, the fact that he was able to accomplish this? I think, hands down, the miracle is that Chizkiyahu is able to feel Hashem's absolute presence and oneness. Let go. He says, I'm going to sleep. Rest. Downloads the power of Hashem. What happens? That night, what happened? A malach came, an angel came, a plague, destroyed the whole camp. Nobody left. The only one left was Sancheirev and his kids, from which came Nebuchadnezzar, and they escaped. That was the end of Sancheirev. Finished. What happened? In one night, in the middle of the night, the night of Pesach, he just destroyed everybody. The whole camp is gone. There was nothing left. And that is what the Geula that we're looking for is about. Redemption, Geula means, it happens in two stages. There's Geula Protis and Geula Klolis. Geula Klolis is the arrival of Mashiach. Okay, that's amazing. What's going to happen when Mashiach comes? You want to know what's going to happen? The answer is nothing. You'll just shift the way you look at things. You'll be like, what? I didn't get it. Like, I didn't have how this, this is unbelievable. Uh, you see Hashem and you're seeing Him now. You do Torah and mitzvahs, you keep Shabbos, you keep kosher, you give tzedakah, you do chesed, you do all the wonderful mitzvahs, but we don't get how those mitzvahs are the dominant force. And what happens? The switch comes about. What's the switch? The switch is when suddenly you'll start seeing the reality behind the scenes of everything that's going on. What you want to do is try this out. Whenever an emotion comes your way, 
when you feel some kind of anxiety, a fear, a worry, you say, okay, Hashem, I'm very scared. I'm feeling anxious. Very, very worried. And after you feel it, you say, Hashem, I believe in you. I have a Muna. And I know that you're right here with me. And you're giving me a hug in this moment. And I feel Hashem's presence with me here. You kind of like need a full-time job to do this. Because what happens is all the time, if you look at your day, you'll see feelings coming your way all the time. It's like these... Wherever you go, whatever happens, it's like this feeling that comes your way and it nabs you and it's just like... All the time, we move from one feeling to another one, to another one, to another one. Try, look at yourself and identify in yourself what you feel. Say, I'm feeling disappointed. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling humiliated. I'm feeling insulted. And then download the power of Hashem into your life in that moment. We Jews have a system. It's called Shema Yisrael. Hashem Elekeinu Hashem Echod. And we say it all the time and we live it. Close our eyes and we say, listen. Yisrael. Hashem is our God. Hashem is one. Where is Hashem one? Echad. The halacha is. Aleph, Ches and Dalad. He's one in the eight and the four. What's the eight? You look up seven heavens and earth and the four corners. So think about it. You look like this. You look about Hashem all over. You're supposed to move your head. Hashem is one in all six directions. Six physical directions and six spiritual directions. There's six emotions that a person can have. Look at your life in every direction that you suddenly go. One day you're feeling an addiction. That's like chesed to the right. One day you're feeling anxious. That's to the left. One day you're feeling liberal. That's in the middle. And all the time you have different feelings that guide you. Every feeling you have, take it, offer it to Hashem, and say, Hashem, I'm feeling this. And I'm expecting this and this to happen, so that should be fine. And say, Hashem, I know you're in this moment, and I feel you. Hashem Elekein, Hashem Echad, I feel your presence right here in this very moment. What you'll see happens to you is that you're allowing God to take over in your life. It's called letting go. It's called letting Hashem in. So you let Hashem's presence into you, and suddenly He and you fuse and become one. The Valatanya had a chassid. His name was... Shlomo Fagin. This guy, some Hasidim were very, you know, deep, introspective people. They worked on themselves. They made sure they became, uh, you know, they were introspective. Avoidim, avoider, that's called. Work on, your, work on your emotion. This guy, none of that. He was just intellectual. So one day, he's going on a, on a business trip to Leipzig. That's where the, all the business was, in Leipzig. And the Alter Rebbe called him in and he says, I want to ask you a favor. I want you to stop on the way by a good friend of mine. His name is Reb Shleimer Karlin. Have you heard of him? He was a student of Reb Aaron Karlin. He says, stop by him and get, get a bracha from him and send him my regards. He says, fine. Whatever you want. Stops by. Shleimer's inside the room. And he hears, he stands in the room outside. They give him an audience. He says, wait in the room outside. He's waiting in the waiting room. And the rabbi's pacing up and down. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Pacing for a long time. And he's just waiting. After a lot of pacing, the door flies open. He's the only guy in the waiting room. And the Shlema looks up. And he says in Yiddish, 
Junger Mann, Junger Mann, Efscher's Fort, Doa Gotteifenwelt. Young man, young man, maybe, maybe there is a God in the world. <coughs> Closes the door. He's like, sit down, okay? Pacing up and down, the Rebbe's pacing, and he comes out. And he jumps up as the Rebbe's coming out, and he starts screaming with force. Junger Mann, Junger Mann, Efscher's Fort, Doa Gotteifenwelt. Young man, maybe there is a God in the world. Sits down, the Rebbe goes back and pacing a bunch of times, comes back out after a while, and the same thing happens. And he says, Junger Mann, Junger Mann, Efscher is Forto Agoto Welt. And he realizes that's the message to him. Goes away, goes to Leipzig, comes back. The next few months, slowly but surely, the guy goes totally off the derrach. It's off the beaten path. He loses his sense of Judaism. Fries out. A bunch of years later, He's married to a non-Jewish lady. He's very successful in the Tsarist government. And he's, um, there's a special case. They're building a, a, uh, a road. And the road's going over the cemetery in Hadditch where the Balatani is buried. So the Hasidim realize he's the guy in charge of the committee of the Tsar. They send a special Hasid out, a Moshe Vilenka with a couple of others, to go talk to Shloyme Fagin, who's now married to a Shiksa and everything. Go ask him. Help us out. They go to him, they arrive, and they sit down with him. He says, what? It's going over the, the Rebbe's cave? Like, he still has a connection. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. But one condition, he says. I'm still a chassid at heart. I want a fabrengan with you guys. Make a fabrengan at night. Comes, they come to his house, very uncomfortable situation, but they come in, and they fabrengan, singing, you know, mashkir, fabrengan. In the Fabrengen, Shlomo Fagin tells Ramayi Shavilenka, he says, I want you guys to know something. He's like, Oilam Haba, I'm not getting. I'm out. I did everything wrong. There's no world to come. But I was hoping I would have Olam Azeh. I was hoping to at least enjoy myself in this world. Every time I get to enjoy myself and I'm feeling good and I'm feeling content, that voice comes screaming at me. Junger Mann, Junger Mann, Efscher is fort, Doa Gotteifenwelt. It's like, young man, young man, maybe there's a God in the world. And I just can't enjoy myself. I'll never forgive the Balatanian, I'll never forgive Abstraimer Karlin for what they did to me. They took away my enjoyment in this world. And that's, like, why can't I enjoy this world? Want to know what a tzaddik does to a person? Every single Jew has emuna not because of anybody else. You have a Muna because you're a you, because you're a Jew, and because it's built into your being. But a Muna needs to be tended to. So a tzaddik, a Moshe Rabbeinu, is called Raya Mehemna. Raya Mehemna means a faithful shepherd. It also means a shepherd of a Muna. His job is to take your Muna and like shake it up so that your Muna comes out of you. Because you have a Mardachai who took the Jews on the time of Haman and he says, don't bow down. They all bow down. Don't bow down anymore. And you have a Moshe Rabbeinu who led the Jewish people out. And you have a Rishleimer Kalina who tells the guy, See, every one of us has emuna, But when you live life, emuna is sometimes lost in the daily grind. When you go to the oil, or you go to a holy place of a tzaddik, and the more the connection you have to a tzaddik, the easier it is. The avoida is a whole, there's like a connection over there. Because the room 
is steeped, soaked with the avoida of the tzaddik. So you're in that room, and just the room itself gets you to do tshuva, because the walls feel, the gashmias, the physical walls feel with power what the tzaddik is doing. When you stand in a place like, I, know, I go to the oil, which is right over here, it's like it's amazing how people fly all over the world, and like, right here, 10 minute drive from here, you have it. And you walk inside, but any, yeah, any holy place. A tzaddik's avoida is that he's connected, meaning a tzaddik is someone who felt this world's blockage and the resistance less. When you stand in his presence, and especially if you have a connection with the tzaddik, so if you have a connection, you learn his stuff, and you, you feel part of what he is, it's a whole different way. Then your, whole, your soul feels connected, and it rises. It doesn't necessarily happen just because you went there. It's an avoida. His job is to do a raya mehemna. Our job, by the way, is to help him do his work. When you meet a fellow Jew, what do you want to do? Light him up. Light his candle. Like, ignite the fellow Jew. Because he has a munah. The more you just talk about it and reveal it, the more you ignite it. But a tzaddik is someone who doesn't just talk about it. He lives, lives it. He walks the walk, not just talks the talk. And when you walk inside that presence, there's a feeling of just being connected. That's the power. The power is you don't need him to get emunah. You have a connection direct to Hashem. But emunah can be soiled sometimes. And you have to hear a story about Chizkiyahu and you have to appreciate, like, what was he going through? Like, wow. Where life was just, everything was falling apart. The whole Judaism was falling apart. In that moment, he's like, Ani yashen al mitati. And if you listen to that story, I'm sleeping on my bed. I'm just absolutely talking in Hashem. It's inspiring to us. So it's listening to his teachings, listening to what he does, and then walking into his presence in the place where, where his gashmi, his physical body is interred. And there you feel a connection. Not necessarily you just feel it. You have to walk in and allow yourself to go up. Kola Benifuna did that. He was like, too pressured. The stress is too much for more than Miraglim. I don't know how to handle this. So what does he do? He goes to the patriarchs. He goes to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And he davens over there. He says, beam me up. Allow me to feel that connection. And he feels that elevation. And that's our work all the time. To find Emuna in those moments and to take the power. You go, you connect, you feel it. And then you walk back and then you apply it. A tzaddik's job is not to pick you up. Which, by the way, different discussion, but Rav Kalina said that a tzaddik's job is to pick you up. And he had an argument with the Balatanya. He says, no, 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 no. I'm here to grant you and to help you in whatever you do. But the work, you're doing yourself. So each one of us is charged with a life. And your life is special and unique and you get to experience Hashem in your life. Tzaddik just helps you do it. Does that answer the question? And that's my piece.